Thank you, Chancel Choir. I, if you didn't hear, I'm just going to, I want to read this one more time. That, that uh, piece of music was beautiful, but that last verse, O cross that lifted, liftest up my head, I dare not ask to fly from thee. I lay in dust, life's glory dead, and from the ground there blossoms love. From the pain there blossoms hope, and from the cross there blossoms life. Man, that, that's the gospel. So thank you, choir. Thank you for the music this morning. Our scripture... Today comes to us from Genesis chapter 2 and 3, and you've probably heard this story before, I imagine, Um, and it's always good to hear it again. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to till it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, you may freely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other wild animal that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God say you shall not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the middle of the garden, nor shall you touch it or you shall die. But the serpent said to the woman, you you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made loincloths for themselves. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to you. Thank you, Andrew, for that scripture reading, and I want to echo that thanks to the Wesley Choir and to our Chancel Choir for that beautiful, beautiful anthem. It's always a funny feeling when you go to preach a sermon, and then it would just preach better than you in a song right before you get up here, (laughs) and you're kind of like, what am I doing? (laughs) I'm grateful. Well, friends, we are in the season of Lent. And this is a liturgical season focused on something called repentance, this this time to turn back toward God. This is a time when we take a look from the balcony, looking down at our lives, and we examine ourselves and look at the ways that we may have missed the mark. What ways has sin warped our way of thinking, and how do we still stand in need of God's saving grace? And during this season here at noon and first, we're going to be looking at the Old Testament story of God's saving work. And this is going to be a deep dive into the Hebrew Bible, what we call the Old Testament. And it's a beautiful collection of books. There's poetries, histories, instructions for how God's chosen people are to live. There's books of wisdom. There's writings from prophets. And if you've ever picked up a Bible, you also know it's pretty long. (laughs) It's a long story. It's very long. Old Testament has 39 books 929 chapters, over 23,000 verses, and over 600,000 words. And if we're being honest, which I think we can be honest here in this room, it's kind of complicated and hard to read. 
Each of these 39 books has its own genre written by a particular person or a group of people at a particular time for a particular purpose. And heck, some of the books even have multiple authors that, with no warning, just another author chimes in and then goes back to the previous one. And some of those parts are just really difficult to make sense of. Now, with all that length and with all that complication and all that friction, there's an unfortunate tendency for folks to just skip over the Old Testament narrative. After all, is it that important? (laughs) I mean, the New Testament is so much more clear-cut, and it's so much easier to understand, and it's focused on Jesus, right? The central figure of our faith, our Savior, God with us, Jesus. Can't we just read about creation and the fall and just skip ahead to Jesus? Well, the short answer is an emphatic no. The main reason being that we can't understand God's full story of salvation and redemption without the Old Testament. And we can't fully know Jesus and be his disciples without the Hebrew Bible. We need to know that God has always been in the business of saving human beings for thousands of years, even before Jesus was born. And beyond that, we need to remember that Jesus was Jewish. And this, the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, these are the God-inspired scriptures that Jesus read and referenced throughout his ministry. They were the lens through which he saw and described the world. Jesus is the climax of God's salvation story, but you can't understand the full significance of that action without knowing the whole story. I mean, can you really get the whole picture of what Christmas means, what Jesus' arrival on earth means, without the voices of generations of prophets predicting and anticipating that birth? Or how can we understand the full scope of Jesus' teaching without knowing that he was coming to be the authoritative fulfillment of the law given to Israel? Even Jesus' last supper with his disciples, which is the supper that we remember every time we participate in communion, That supper means so much more when we know that it was a Passover dinner. All of its meaning connected to God's deliverance of the Hebrew people from slavery in Egypt so many years ago. And perhaps most important of all, can we even understand the cross and our salvation without first understanding what we are being saved from? Without the story of creation, human beings, and how we got twisted away from God's plan in the first place, how can we understand what salvation means? There is a larger story at work, a long story. God's story of creation, the fall, redemption, and then the new creation. And it all starts here at the beginning of the book of Genesis. And creation and the fall set the stage and they answer two important questions. What do we need saving from? And where is God taking us? Now, as Andrew mentioned before a scripture reading, you're probably familiar with the creation story. You have probably heard it before. From nothing, God creates the earth, and first God makes space for that earth and separates the land and the water. And then God creates vegetation and animals of the land and the air and sea and declares it to be what? Good. Then God makes human beings. And as we were reminded of on Ash Wednesday, we are created from the dust and the dirt of the earth and breathed into us the breath of life. And God declares us to be not just good, but very good. And then God finishes it all with the seventh day, a day of rest, a Sabbath, and calls it very, very, very good, makes it holy, and finally creation is complete. And we as human beings are placed 
in a magnificent garden named Eden. And we're given everything that we need, every good plant, every animal, water to drink, food to eat. And there, in this garden, we are also given a glorious purpose. All of this beautiful creation, we are meant to till and to keep it. The original Hebrew words here are a little more intense. We are made to make ourselves servants to it. (laughs) We are meant to serve the rest of creation, to be its guard and protector, to be on watch for it. And this is very good. We will find joy in this work, and we will always have in this garden everything that we need. What a wonderful thing. It's hard for us to even imagine what that would have been like. I think we still get glimpses of what that perfect relationship between human and creation might have looked like today, even if it's not all the time. I got one of those glimpses one time during Shark Week. Has anyone here ever watched Shark Week? Oh, it's an epic week. It's one of the best times of the year. The Discovery Channel focuses entirely on sharks, and they are incredible. They're these biological missiles in the water, so streamlined, so well adapted, and they keep our ecosystems well balanced in the oceans. And fun fact, they have lived for millions of years. They have outlived the dinosaurs. Sharks are incredible. But there was a special I saw once during Shark Week, and it was just three minutes long, and it was about a woman named Christina. And Christina's story gives us a glimpse of what this servant relationship between human beings and creation might have looked like. You see, Christina was a diver who had always been fascinated with sharks. She grew up wanting to dive with them, and she trained herself to scuba dive with these sharks and became an expert in their behavior and how to care for them. And I have to add a disclaimer to this next part. Do not try this at home. She was an expert. Because one day when she was down below around a bunch of nurse sharks that she had dived with several times before, one of the sharks approached her, and it was about seven feet long, and it had gotten comfortable enough with her that it allowed her to pet it. And so she was petting this wild shark, and as she was looking at it closely, she saw in its mouth a big, nasty, rusty hook deep down in its mouth. And the shark was already willing to trust her, so she decided she was going to take a risk. And she reached out and put her hand in and tried to pull this big hook out of its mouth. And as you're watching right here on the Discovery Channel, your eyes are glancing, where's the rating on this? What's about to happen? Because her arm is up to her elbow, (laughs) and the shark is thrashing and moving around. It's uncomfortable with what's going on. But then the shark shakes away. And her hand comes out clean, holding this big, nasty hook. (laughs) And then the most amazing thing happens. The shark darts away. It's afraid. But then it comes back. And in this beautiful scene of redemption, Christina sits down on the ocean floor in her scuba gear. And this seven-foot shark comes and lays its head on her lap, like a dog on the couch. (laughs) This wild shark. And she just pets it. Now, over the course of 28 years, Christina has done this in the same area with different sharks, and they remember her, she says. They swim up to her and allow her to pet them. They're excited to see her again, and sometimes they will even bring with them a different shark that has a hook in their mouth because they know. It's like they're referring their shark friend to their beloved shark doctor. She's going to fix things for you. And at the end of the video clip, Christina shows this box that she has, over 300 hooks 
that she has taken out of these sharks' mouths in this one area, (laughs) their lives restored, creation made new again. Now, tell me something cooler than that. I dare you. You can't. You can't. It's the coolest thing imaginable. And I've seen similar stories over the years, and you probably have too. I, know, I remember one of someone rescuing a pelican that had gotten wrapped up in fishing line floating on a buoy in the ocean, or people saving bear cubs that had gotten trapped in a dumpster and they slide a ladder in so the bear cubs can climb out. There's just something about stories like that that are so good. <laughs> they resonate deeply within us. We're wired to love it. And that's no accident. Right here in our scripture today, it tells us, in the very good creation, we are made to till and to keep it, made to serve. We are made to be servants of creation. God wired us to find our joy in the serving. Here in the garden, humanity can serve creation and walk with God together toward a glorious new creation. But then we know what happens. We get things twisted. In the Garden of Eden, there's one rule that's not to be broken, one tree that human beings are not supposed to eat from called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And there's a crafty serpent in the story. And the serpent is the one who gives the temptation. And he says, if you eat this, you can be like God. Eat from that tree and your eyes will finally be opened. You can get to experience for yourself what it means to know what is good and know what is evil. And they eat from the tree. We took the bait and we got hooked. And several firsts happen all at once. For the first time, Adam and Eve, who represent humankind in the story, they notice that they are naked and they feel this new feeling of shame. They hide their bodies from one another. And then, for the first time, Adam and Eve run and hide from God. Alan McSwain, who's a Presbyterian minister from Kentucky, puts it this way. He says, having our eyes opened means the desire to make ourselves the arbiters of good and evil, assuming for ourselves the role of God. And that's how we get it twisted That is the human condition we find ourselves in. We put ourselves in God's seat and we deem ourselves to be the kings and lords and queens and we arrange everything to serve us. The great freedom that we were given is now exercised to serve human goals. Our will is dedicated to our own desires and we use our reason to rationalize and excuse our sins. Along the way, we victimize others and create more sin and misery. Creation serves us, but it groans and it withers. We are cunning and clever, but driven by fear and shame. We are crafty like the serpent, but we are naked and fearful. We forget that God has wired us to find joy in the serving. And instead, we try to wire everything else to serve us. Now, the worst part is we can't fix it ourselves. Sin is a disease. It infects our thoughts and our spirits. It makes our natural reaction to always be about ourselves. It fills us with pride or convinces us to wallow in resentment or self-pity. It warps our logic so that we can convince ourselves that anything is permissible. It convinces us not to rely on others, and it tells us never to show vulnerability. 
It tells you that no matter what the problem is, you can solve it yourself if you just get enough wealth or power or influence. And the more you try to defeat sin with your own willpower, the more you try to pull that hook out, the deeper it gets embedded in. We stand in need of a cure from a force outside of ourselves. Humanity needs to be saved. We are like those nurse sharks that I saw swimming around on the Discovery Channel with big, nasty, festering hooks in our souls. We can't do anything in our own power to remove them. We need someone to intervene and to save us. And that is the bad news. And during Lent, we're called to look at that bad news in the face. We're called to acknowledge the sin in our lives and brokenness in our world with honesty and repentant hearts. Lent is the time to remember what we need to be saved from and admit that we cannot do that saving ourselves. But the good news is this. That is not the whole story. It's a long story, remember? And it's God's story. And best of all, we know how the story ends. It ends with a God who reaches toward us with a grace that we need but don't deserve. And if we'll let him, he offers to reach in. Past the teeth, past the pain and the thrashing to remove that terrible festering hook. Our lives restored, creation made new again. And once that hook is gone, we are free once again for joyful obedience. No longer a slave to sin, but a delighted servant to a glorious new creation. Let us pray. God, we give you thanks for the story of our redemption and the new creation to come. During Lent, even as we acknowledge our brokenness and our need for that salvation, we can at the same time find that salvation and grace in you. Open our hearts and our spirits during this season to give an honest assessment of our lives and hand it all over to you, God. Remind us, that from the cross there blossoms life, life that shall endless be. In your name we pray. Amen.